Kindergarten through third grade are dismissed for junior church. Thank you, praise team. In case you looked around this morning and saw that a number of people that usually sit with you or near you aren't here, a whole busload of people from Garden Chapel are at Three Springs Ministries on a youth retreat. There are 20 some of our young people and uh, youth leaders and some of their family are there. Uh, From what I know from the youth leaders, uh, there are a few of the young people that are there that do not know Christ as their Savior. So we're going to spend a few minutes here praying for them and uh, for our leaders. Chris Etter is the main speaker there this um, this weekend, and... uh, they're probably having their final uh, get-together for a service right about now. So we're going to pray. And one of the things that was really interesting, most of the people that come to Garden Chapel are kind of like me. We're pretty white. Well, I looked on the bus, and there were people of every color you could think of on that bus. And I know Amy, she has a lot of games and things that gets people to mix it up with each other. And I pray that that would just be one of those kinds of things that would just, you know, not a little group here and a group there, but uh, just mix them all together. Um, I can remember Andre Cooper when he was the, the youth leader. He went on the bus one time and said, Rosa Parks was in 1962. It's about time we end this stuff. So got to give it to him for that. So let's pray for them and uh, just pray for Chris and pray for the young people and for safety. By the way, the bus, we got it back inspected only on Thursday. Uh, So we got it back just in time uh, to use it. So that's a praise too. Father, thank you so much that uh, we can have these additional ministries here at Garden Chapel. This one in particular to our young people. We thank you for Chris being willing to be the speaker. We pray that you'll continually use him uh, during this time to bring the gospel, to bring the truths of the word of God. I pray that you'd be pleased to use the, the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of young people that need to know Christ. And also to work in the lives of those that know Christ but need to be challenged and encouraged to live to the fullest for the Lord. Pray for safety as they travel home. And I pray that overall, this would be a very positive thing in the lives of our young people and our leaders. Lord, thank you so much. And now open our hearts and minds to your truth as we look at the Word of God. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are looking at the last commandment today. And uh, the main thing is, does the God consider our motives. I've called this sermon, and the title is Covetousness and Its Friends or Its Companions. The words that we're going to look at this morning, uh, when you look them up and you find a definition of one, you almost find the other word used as part of the definition. The words we're going to look at is covetousness, we're going to look at greed, we're going to look at envy, we're going to look at jealousy, and we're going to look at lust. All of them have one common word that puts them together, and that's the word desire. Almost always in the negative. You'll see a a point or two that's in the positive, especially when it comes to uh, jealousy. But uh, we're going to see this. I know from the scripture, from the book of Proverbs, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, I understand that that's talking about somebody you're dealing with. 
And that person, if they have a heart attitude, a mindset, you better beware. It's the guy who says, hey, I'm going to invite you out for a great supper. And you know the only reason he did that is because he wants to sell you something. You know, that kind of a thing. The guy just is out to get his own thing done. Well, guess what? God does indeed consider our motives. Some people have said attitude is everything. I don't 100% agree with that. About 90% though. Because God looks at our attitudes, our motives, our mindset, and our desires of our hearts. And I know that this commandment is the premier commandment. Why? Because all the other commandments will be violated if this one's wrong. Our motive, our mindset, our thinking will lead to the other ones. Covetousness, you can't see it on the outside. You cannot see it. See the results of it, which will break one of the other nine, but not this one. We need to see that covetousness, a desire for self, a desire for something that is not ours, is the root. Sometimes people say, I fell into sin, or someone else fell into sin. I'm not going to say that never happens. You might be naive enough to fall into sin. Most sin, we think our way in. We feel our way into it. Because we go, you know, I can get away with this. Nobody will notice. It won't make any difference. And we convince ourselves and justify ourselves getting into sin. Where does it start? With the heart and with the mind. And that's what we're going to be concentrating on today. Covetousness is the forerunner of all other sin. Because it makes me the standard. It focuses on me. You're going to find out before we're done today, the opposite of covetousness and its companions is love and it is contentment. One other one that's kind of a sidekick to that is goodwill. We'll see that each one of these as we go through this. But if our mind isn't right, our attitude isn't right, then everything else is going to be wrong. I will finish the sermon by saying, can anyone see your covetous attitude or your jealousy or your envy? The answer is no, but it's also yes, because it will change who you are. Your character, just your demeanor will be changed by these things. And so we need to understand that the Bible says in the New Testament, if I hate my brother, I'm a murderer. No, I haven't shot anybody, stabbed anybody, beat anybody over the head. It says if I hate my brother, I'm a murderer. It says that if I have lust in my heart, uh, I've committed adultery already. The New Testament standard is way, way higher than the Old Testament. In fact, as we'll see in the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, that if I'm a greedy or covetous person, I am an idolater. I'm an idol worshiper. Really? Yeah, you know who the idol is? Me. It's all on me. It's all about me. The opposite, love, is What can I do for the good, the welfare, and the well-being of someone else? 
If it is contentment, I'm going to say, God, this is where you put me, and I'm happy and I'm satisfied. The Apostle Paul went so far as to say, I have learned to be content in every and all circumstances. I've learned to be content when I have less than I need. That was the easy one. I've also learned to be content when I have more than I need. We're going to see as we look at these words that the more I, want, the more I have, the more I want. Do you ever notice that? You think, you know what, I'd be satisfied with a little bit of this. And then by the time it's done, you've, you're hoarding, your garage is full, your closets are full, your bank book gets bigger. You know, because, hey, I, a little bit was good. A little more is much better. Oh, a lot more is a much, much, much better. So keep all of that in mind. And one other thing that the Apostle Paul said, he said, Godliness with content is great gain. Because happiness, obviously, is not attained by what I have, what I desire. Fact is, covetousness, greed, envy... You will not be happy. Why? Because you want something that you cannot have or should not have. So with that as a background, we're going to look at the passage before us. And I'm going to point something out. That in Exodus 20.17, it uses the word covet twice. But when it's repeated in Deuteronomy 5.21, it uses the word covet one time and uses the word desire another time. And on purpose with good reason because it's two different Hebrew words. Um, but they mean almost the same. But let's, let's just read this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Like I said, in Deuteronomy, the second covet just simply says desire, an inclination for that. So it's kind of clarifying it to some extent. So let's look at the words. I won't bore you with a lot of definition But I do want you to see the biblical principles here. Covetousness is marked by an inordinate and insatiable desire for someone else's wealth, possessions, or position. That's the commandment. That's straightforward. That's the word that is used there. Notice it's someone else has it, but I want it. That's covetousness uh, in the Old Testament The word desire goes that direction also. In fact is, in Deuteronomy 7.25, it says this. When they're going to be going into the promised land, he says, The graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, or you will be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Anything that God says is not to be yours and you covet it, it's eventually going to take you down. It's going to be, in one of these words, it's going to say, it brings your destruction. Because you keep getting it and eventually it destroys who you are. In this case, he says, those idols, get rid of them, burn them. But don't save back for yourself the gold and silver that they're made out of. Because it's going to be a snare for you. It's going to take you down and destroy you. 
Most of you at some time in your life has, have read an Aesop's fable, right? You know, I, I don't know a whole lot of them, but one of them came to me this morning at breakfast. Breakfast is a good time to get your brain going. But, uh, and I don't know if Aesop uh, claimed to be a believer or anything like that, but the guy had some insight into human nature. The one I remember is, you may remember, a dog has a bone. He's walking across a bridge, and the dog looks over the bridge and sees a dog in the water with a bone. And he's like, I want that dog's bone. So he opens his mouth to go down to get the dog's bone, and guess what happens to his bone? It's in the water. He has no bones. The point is, he wanted something that wasn't his. It was an illusion, of course, but he lost everything he had. Covetousness is really that. Somebody else says something, I think I should have it. And in the meanwhile, you lose who you are, and you lose your integrity, you lose your credibility, and all of those types of things. The New Testament takes this concept, and as it always does, takes it a step further and deals with the inside. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, says it this way. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? The answer is no, the law is not sin. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. The law simply shows us what sin is. It's not sin itself. Shows us what is sinful, what God says is wrong. And which one is Paul of the commandments is Paul going to use as an example? For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So if you're going to take one commandment and make it your focus, which the Apostle Paul did in this case, he says, I wouldn't have known about coveting if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. Remember, the Apostle Paul I think he was very much a covetous person before his conversion. Why? He wanted the power for himself. He he wanted people to be put in jail or killed because they were following this man, Jesus. He wanted that power for himself. He voted against them. He went to put them in prison. He was doing those kinds of things. And then the law came along and says, hey, Paul, you're covetous. But he didn't stop there in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. And you know the lead up to there is God's view of government. He said, they're my servants, um, and we need to deal with that. He said, at the end, he said, what else should we do? And he said, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal. You shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this, saying... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you cannot covet something that's your neighbor's and still love your neighbor. Why? Because covet says it's about me. Loving your neighbor says it's about helping my neighbor. One of the things that I've told, and I'll, I'll say this over and over again. If you help me with a tractor pull, you're going to be beat by the end of the day. That's a guarantee. It's hot. It's a lot of work. You're going around. It's half chaos. Sometimes it's under control. Sometimes it's not. But I wouldn't ask people to help with that ministry if I did not believe that giving the gospel uh, for a few minutes at the driver's meeting and praying 
wasn't helping other people and loving my neighbor. It would be just a lot of work. But it's cool. We can do that. We look out for someone else. It's not about me. You're not going to get high pay if you help me. I'll guarantee you that. You won't get any pay for the Lord. But you'll be able to show, I love people. I want them to hear about Christ. It also goes on in the New Testament in Mark chapter 7. And it says this. And he, that's Jesus, was saying, What proceeds out of the man is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. See, in this world, it's a mess. Sin all around us. You cannot keep your ears and your eyes away from things that are wrong. You just can't do that. But that's not what makes you a bad person. Now, I'm not going to say, you know, purposely put yourself in harm's way. Don't, don't think or purposely put yourself uh, in the midst of sin because you can be tempted like anyone else. But those are not the things that describe who you are. They're not the ones that defile you. It's the things that come back out the mouth. Think about social media, whether it's in writing digitally or spoken, doesn't matter. The, the drama and the stuff you see coming around is just horrible. He said, be aware. One of those things that comes out is deeds of covetousness. We need to understand that. And the verse that I've already quoted uh, and told you about in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says this. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and the covetousness which amounts to idolatry. Now what's interesting, none of your versions of the Bible are going to have that uh, uh, definitive... Yeah. All of a sudden, I lost it. I flunked in. No, I didn't. Anyway, they don't have the love. What, what's, what's that part of speech? All of a sudden, I blanked. Definite article. Definite article. It doesn't have the definite article in front. See, I did pay attention a little bit. Not much. But um, anyway, and now my memory's going, so it's worse yet. But it's the definite article is only in front of covetousness. The others are bad. But covetousness, which is the inward attitude, he says, that's the one that's idolatry. Because you're only thinking about yourself and what you want for you. The second word, second companion, is envy. Envy desires to deprive the other person of what they have. You want it for yourself because, and there's an addition here, they don't deserve it. That should be mine. A couple of times this morning, people said to me, hey, how did you do at the tractor pull yesterday? And I'm going, I did okay. I got a first and two seconds and a third and a fourth and a sixth. I could have done better. And then I go, hold on a second, Paul. I know, the pre- I know the sermon you're preaching. Be careful. Because you know what? I got beat, literally. I got second place by that much. And that's not an exaggeration. It was eight, no, nine hundreds of a foot, which is about that much. 
You know, and I went up and I congratulated the guy. You know why? Because he did better than I did. Doesn't matter if it's that much or this much. It's, that's what we need to have that mindset about this whole thing. He deserved it. But envy says he didn't deserve that. I should have got first place. That's envy. God says it's wrong. In fact is, in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17, it says it this way. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. You know the saying, why do the wicked prosper? This addresses that. Because you can look around and say, that person cheated on their taxes. That person cuts the corners here. And look how they're prospering. You know what? They don't deserve that, but but I should have it. It says, no way. That should not be the way it is. Fact is, you know why Jesus got delivered over to Pilate? You may have never heard of this. I never even thought about this until I was studying for this sermon. But in Matthew chapter 27, verse 17, it says this. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Uh, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he, that's Pilate, knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. You know what? These religious leaders didn't like Jesus. You know why? Because when he spoke, he spoke as one who had authority. His life matched his words. Theirs didn't. They were a bunch of hypocrites. We know that because Jesus called them that. He said, you hypocrites. You're whitewashed graves. You know, on the outside you look nice and white and clean. On the inside you're full of dead man's bones. They didn't like that. He usurped authority that they thought was theirs. He spoke at a much higher level, lived at a hugely higher level than that. And they didn't like that. It was envy that caused them to go against him. And you go, boy, that was nasty of them. But do you know what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16? Listen to this one carefully. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Think about that. This is ministry. This is gospel ministry from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Think about this. In Christianity, some of the infighting is That pastor shouldn't have that recognition. That church doesn't deserve to be as big as it is or have the outreach it has or whatever. You know what? Envy among Christians giving the gospel is horrible. Man, if somebody is giving the gospel, pat them on the back, say, go for it, brother. Go for it, sister. You know, you may not have to agree with every little tiny thing. But preaching the gospel out of envy and strife? It's craziness. Paul said, it's just not right. He said, the opposite of envy and strife is doing it out of goodwill. Because you want the good to happen. You're doing it because you love people. I already used my illustration. And then there's jealousy. I believe this is the one they call the green-eyed monster. Um, Jealousy is a little bit different. This here doesn't seek to deprive somebody else of what they have. It just says, I want the same sort of thing for myself. 
So they have it, but you know what? I ought to have it also. It'll get you in trouble every time. Now, remember I said not all of these words are always negative. We already looked at some of the, well, all the earlier commandments. But in verse 5 of Exodus 20, you shall not worship them, that is false gods, or serve them, for I, the Lord, am your God. I am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. I want for me what I deserve. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and children, third, fourth generation. He said, I know who I am. I am the eternal self-existing God and everything else that came into existence. I brought it into existence. If you have any other gods, they're usurpers. You go, does that make any practical application to us? Well, of course it does in worship. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it makes another very practical application. I've used it many times in counseling. It says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. It's the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthians. For I betroth you to one husband, that is to Christ, that I may present you as a pure virgin. I've used this many times because I've had to deal with adultery and all kinds of you know, sexual garbage that goes on. And here's the deal. Anytime there's more than two people in a marriage... There should be jealousy because you have betrothed, you, you have said I do to the other person. That's a lifelong bond. That's what the Bible says. Till death will do his part is what almost all of us say. The point is this. Jealousy, whenever anyone is having an affair, there's somebody in there just like a false god is there. No, they don't belong there. This is the married one man, one woman. Somebody else comes in. God... God says, that's just not to be. And one last thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Does not brag. Is not arrogant. Right there, it makes it very clear that jealousy is diametrically the opposite of what love does. I need to be happy for that other person. I, and I, by the way, I try to practice this. When somebody beats me at a tractor pull, I go over and I shake their hand and say, good job, did a great job. And it's not false humility because I look at that and say, I didn't do my homework. I didn't do good enough. I need to, I need to be a better engine builder and I need to be a better driver or whatever else. You know what? I want them to know that I appreciate that they've given me a challenge. I don't want what they have. If I can beat them, I'm going to beat them. I'm competitive. Don't get me wrong. But they, they legitimately beat me. That's the way it is. We need to see that same thing. So if somebody else is sought out by others for spiritual counsel, praise the Lord that God is using them. Now, if God wants to use you, hey, great. That's okay, too. But remember, jealousy, you want for yourself what somebody else has. Not what they have. But similar kind of thing. Then there's greed. Greed is none of these. This is just, I want more. The more I have, the more I want. And this is the one where it absolutely, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 6, says this. 
the righteousness of the upright will deliver them. Notice the word deliver. But the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. The more I want, the more I want, the more I want. Kind of like we've said this about money. Money is not bad. Wealth is not bad. Possessions aren't bad. If you control them, if they control you, they will destroy you. Think about that. That's how this whole idea of greed works. Some of the richest men who have ever lived are some of the beloved characters of the Old Testament. God never condemned them for having wealth because they used it rightly. Not always. Solomon didn't always do that. But he didn't say it's wrong to have riches or possessions or position. We need to use it rightly. And if we don't, it's going to take us down. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, uh, you'll know the story of the man who had an abundance of crops. So he tore down his barns and built new ones. And this is the conclusion. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Life is more than those possessions. Greed will get you in big trouble. It's like some of the others. It's self-destructive. There's also lust. Now, we usually think of lust in English as being something about sexual things. That's true. Biblically, it's true. Practically, it's true. In English, it's true. In Hebrew, it's true. It's all true across the board. But lust is much bigger than that. Because lust is an intense desire for things um, that just take over our life. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They had a lust in their heart, and God said, Okay, You keep desiring and desiring and desiring what you shouldn't have. By the way, this is talking about homosexuality, lesbians, and all that kind of stuff. But he says, okay, you want to do that? I'll give you over. You know what? I'll give you what you want. He did the same thing with the manna in the wilderness, if you remember that story. But in John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, it says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away, also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, lust is one of those things that in the end, it's really, really empty. It comes to nothing. It's a desire for something that ultimately comes to an end. So why is this important? i got five minutes left. First of all, the command to not be covetous safeguards us against all the other sins. Why? Because it starts inside. It reminds us that we need a right mindset. We need to be content. We need to be loving people. It reminds us that we have personal drama going on inside of us. 
We see the drama that goes on around us on Facebook and Twitter and all those kinds of things. And we despise that. At least I do. Uh, But the personal drama is the one that we get reminded of. Because in us, we're like, yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, that that really... You know, and we get that direction and we go, whoa, hey, we got a battle going on. And there is really a battle going on. And if that personal drama is not checked, we will have outward drama. As I already said, many of these cases, it will take us down. Now, I'm going to do something uh, that I told you about when we talked about critical thinking. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time. All these require a yes answer. I have a number of questions. Is sin ever committed if I don't personally carry it out? Yes. Why? Because I know the most dangerous prayer in the Bible. And if you don't think I'm, listen to me a minute. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart, mind, and emotions. Try me, know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any hurtful, and that word can either be translated hurtful, evil, or wicked, ways in me. And lead me in the everlasting life. I hope you will do that. But I'm going to tell you it's dangerous. Because if you ask God to show you your wicked heart, your sinful heart, your hurtful heart. And he shows it to you. You better be willing to confess it and deal with it. Because that's now known sin. And known sin needs to be confessed. That's why I call it the most dangerous prayer in the Bible. Number two. Does God judge the intentions of the heart? The answer is yes. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him, that's God, With whom we have to do. God knows us inside and out. In fact as I propose to you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows me. Do you ever get really mad at yourself. Because you have a bad attitude. A wrong thought. A wrong intention. I do. I get madder at that than any other thing I can think of. It's like Paul. You know better than this. You tell people the right stuff. And then you go and think this way yourself. Do you ever talk out loud to yourself and say, Paul, you big dummy? That's exactly what I say. <laughs> and I mean it. It's like, and then I add with, how can you be so stupid? You know better. You know what the word says. You know what you tell everybody else. And now you're thinking this way. Yeah, I get really mad at myself. But I hope that when I do that, I confess and say, okay, Lord, you're right. I need to deal with this. But yeah, God deals with those things. Does the grace of God cover these things? The answer is yes. In 1 John 1, 9, most of you may know that, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, it doesn't say outward sin, murder, or theft, or lying. It says all sin. We already know he judges the intents of the heart. So, is that covering for that? The answer is yeah. Confession is to say the same thing about that sin that God says. It's wrong and I want nothing to do with it. That's a whole other sermon in itself. 
But we usually don't go on to read or memorize verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I challenge you. Ask God to judge your mind. Examine you. Show you evil, hurtful, wrong things in your mind. And when he does, confess them. And the very last one. You say, well, you keep saying this is all internal stuff. That is correct. I stand by that. It's all in the heart and the mind. So, are there consequences for internal sin? The answer is yes. You know why? Because it changes who you are. It changes your personality. It changes your character. It changes your demeanor. It changes the way you interact with other people. You see, if you're a covetous person, you always think somebody got it better than you. It should be you that gets the good stuff. You should be on the top of the heap. It ought to be about you. And you know what? That makes you one miserable person. You ever hear the story about how do you hug a porcupine? Think about that. You don't. You don't hug a porcupine. You know what? When we're covetous people, you're like a porcupine. You're going to keep everybody away from you, and then you're going to wonder, why doesn't anybody like me? Why, can't, why don't I have close friends? Why does everybody kind of avoid me? Well, because it changes who you are and how you interact with other people. In Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to just read this. It's four verses, five verses. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither rust or moth destroys, or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Covetousness will fit right in there. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great the darkness. No man can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and possessions. And you could put in there position, power, whatever you want to put in there. You cannot serve God and let those things control you. Remember, it's not what you have or what your circumstances are. It's what do you do with it. And it all starts in here and in here. Attitude. Mindset. Desires. Are they right or are they wrong? You only can do that. I can't see inside of you. I can see on the outside. And I've seen pretty miserable people and they look kind of normal on the outside. But boy, are they miserable. And they don't know what to do with it. And I just showed them the word of God. And it says, hey, God deals with the heart. I challenge you. There it is. And only you can deal with that one. Let's all stand together. Father, thank you so much for reminding us that everything that happens on the outside started on the inside. It's out of our mouth, out of who we are that defiles us. 
Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of people that have a right mindset, right desires, that we would not allow the things of this world to make us covetous or greedy or envious or lustful. Uh, um, It just, Lord, help us to stay away from that because we know that ultimately these things will destroy us and cause us untold hurt and heartburn and just all the horrible things that happen in our lives. It will destroy us. I pray that we would take that inventory and ask God to guide us and show us and examine us so that we can live in a way that's honoring and pleasing to you and that will show through our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God. Don't forget to keep praying for the bus and the people coming home.